Hey everybody, it's Randall Love, and this is a supplemental key issue of the Definitive Podcast. It's supplemental because we're doing an interview, but we're also doing different hand signs tonight. I am here with Isaac Elliott Fisher. Here I am doing a hand sign. That's a good one. That's a good it, one right? it, it looks like a bird. I was trying to do a bat, but it, well, mm. it's obvious. I mean, there's a bat behind you. Come on. What? There's a bat behind me. Oh, we have a special guest tonight here at the station, socially distancing. So we invited a guest in and then made him stay away from us, which that's how it is these days. Before we get into it, we'll just say sometimes we know people who are collectors of things who have all the things. Now, this collector has all the things. He has the things that you might want to have. He's from a town nearby. He is related to you, isn't he, Isaac? I don't even ask how to describe how we're related. We'll just say we're related. Is it really complicated? It's, like, I, yeah, it actually is. I actually don't even fully understand. It's yeah. one of those small town things where like your dad <laughs> married his mom and they found out they were third cousins. It's Kind of not like that at all, but oh. it's sort of like he's from another city and I was like told at some point in my youth that, hey, there's this guy who works in media that is like vaguely related to you in some way. He's like your mom's third cousin twice removed. So now, I called him up and I was like, hey, I want to go work in this business. And then he'd let me do that. Why don't you introduce him then since he's somehow your cousin or not? So my not cousin is Rob Curry, who's also kind of my cousin in some weird way. There, uh, he, there is. he is. He's right. He's right hey, there. Hey, Isaac, uh, my second cousin once removed. So nice to see you again. Is that actually what we are? That is what you are. Oh, okay. He's cool. That's actually not that far. I mean, I, I could get I married, think, I think. You know like, what? I, I think, think your great-great-grandmother and my great-grandmother are the same person or something like that. So, Is there any chance that we should stop having a comics podcast and have a podcast to explain all these kinds of things that I also don't know about the removed or not removed or who's been added. There's a lot of things that we're not taught in life that I think that we could have a podcast to be like, talk about taxes. Like, how do those work? Maybe an hour, an hour long episode, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do not want to talk about taxes. <laughs> how to do them. That's a good podcast. People would watch that, right? Nope. No. Uh, Rob Curry, you live near us and you are remarkable for a number of things. One is your family, I guess. Uh, but another is you are the local bat maniac. Is that fair to say? I think uh, one of my favorite stories is my, uh, my enabler, the guy who runs the comic book store where I buy the current issues of Batman, introduced me to his father and said, this is Rob Curry. He's the, 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 by far the biggest Batman collector in the, the entire region. And then he said, and he's married. And then the father went from like, oh, oh. <laughs> so yes, I am special for a couple of reasons. He has two kids too. <laughs> hey, don't feed into that stereotype. <laughs> Done it twice. Um, anyway. Uh, don't feed into the stereotype. But you're not just a Batman collector. You're also in the media and you're into motorcycles. So like, please give us a little bit of your roundedness first before we dive into the one thing. Gotcha. Wow. So I've been a corporate video producer for over 30 years. And uh, I've shot five prime ministers. We've done stuff for Disney, for Microsoft. Um, and that guy that made that thing that needs a video, how to explain it, which is fun finding out about what everybody else does for a living. 
Uh, I do have a Batman motorcycle. I have a, a bat helmet with the, uh, the ears on the side. And, and, uh, and so uh, my wife and I are both avid cyclists and drive all over the place. I got two kids and one is totally into uh, James Bond and the other one's totally into Green Lantern. I don't know where they get it from, but it, it, there could be something to this DNA thing. Wait, are you, this may be the first time we've delved into this. Do you think there's a collector's gene? I mean, for real, you actually think that? So the joke that uh, Caroline always makes, I think it's a joke, is, uh, boy, I, I sure wish that he was into alcohol or crack cocaine because there's excellent programs for that. There's not so much excellent programs for collecting Batman stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's, there's something to it. And, uh, the fact that I just bought uh, Batman masks for the pandemic and don't know whether I should open them or not because maybe they're more collectible if I don't open them and use them, even though I might die from COVID, that, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something probably that's slightly amiss. It, it, is, um, it is a sickness. We all have it. We're going to talk a little bit about where yours comes from. And I think you might be what I would call... Uh, a prototypical Batman fan in a way. I think you came to it at a certain time when there was a particularly good entrance point for kids. Is that not true? I, yeah, when I was five years old is when the, the Batman TV show was on, which I just absolutely loved. And yes, I'm so old that when my parents got a color TV set and I could watch Batman in color, it was the most amazing thing. Uh, at that age too, I was into reading comic books. And so that's when the, the 12 center, uh, Carmen Infantino, uh, artwork and, uh, Julie Schwartz editorship first came into play. And so those were amazing issues and I just love those too. And so, uh, and even about the same time, shortly afterwards, Mego came out with little Batman action figures and, uh, and so, yeah, there was lots of stuff to collect. And, and yeah, I think I hit it at the point where you just went, you know, wow, this is so cool. Batman is so cool. Isn't, but it, it, like, isn't it like five, it's like five to 10 is like that prime age. If you can grab somebody, it's like that. What's the best, what was it that uh, David Wise said? What's the best uh, era of science fiction? And it's like five to eight, 10. Yeah. yeah. An not, eight-year-old, the, I think. Eight year old, yeah, it's an eight-year-old. It's not necessarily a time. It's That's the best time. But the, but the thing about Batman, Rob, is in that time period, y you said it. There were comics to support that. There was a TV show to support that. And then there were figures. Like there was a market around Batman that was not just nascent, but was really bustling at the time. So you could get it from a number of different sources. It, it's funny because Batman comic books dropped in popularity so low that DC was considering canceling them in the early 60s. And, uh, and then they gave it to Julie Swartz and said, here, fix it. So mm. in 64, he sort of made him more of a detective again and, and made him more serious. And by the time of that TV show, yeah. Uh, what's neat about being a Batman freak is that if I say, yeah, I'm into Batman, pretty much everybody knows who that is, or they have some concept of Batman, and there's there's so many different versions of them, but but they will they will know that, oh yeah, Batman, I know Batman, and uh, I think that 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 time in the mid '60s, that's when Batman became a, a truly global phenomenon. Yeah, I think too that Batman is also a good starter nerd thing because it's 
if you were an 89, if you're at the right age at 89 and you saw the Michael Keaton Batman movie, that also was a very approachable Batman. So there has always been a way to get into this without being too nerdy. Like you, if you're a Green Lantern fan, I'm sorry, you're a nerd probably, right? That's how the, the society as, as a whole would look at you. But if you're a Batman fan, I think a lot of people would say, well, yeah, right? I mean, I was five when the 89 movie came out and that's, yeah, exactly. That was actually probably my first ever action figure was a Batman. So yeah, it's it's like you say, it's almost validating that it's you know you can grab onto any just like so many of the big the big well it's probably the biggest one one of the biggest ones is you can grab onto your Batman anytime throughout history. Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to just back up to when it, I get I, it's hard to know the moment when you stop being a dabbler and start being like a deep collector. I sense, because you have stuff and you showed us, and we're going to cut to some of that if Isaac still has the footage, when you took us around your setup, but you collected stuff early and were aware or seemed to be aware early that you were a collector, right? What, one of the things that I have, which I think is the first thing in my collection, so age five, uh, a Batman A to Z book, and on the back you could cut out this uh, Batman-shaped cardboard mask and put it on. So... At age five, I was driving my tricycle as fast as I could with the darkest bath towel tied around my neck and that mask on. And so, so yeah, at a pretty early age, because I'm over five now, uh, even though I don't act it sometimes, that, uh, uh, that yeah, I still have that. Um, that, you know, that that had meaning for me uh, at age five. And so all the original comic books that I had to hide under my pillow when mom came up the stairs and had to turn out the light really fast and... and uh, all the toys, the action figures that I played with from a little kid, yep, I still have them all because, hey, they're Batman ones. How did you get supported by your parents for them not to throw that out or somehow to, you know, most of us went through a phase where we had stuff that we thought was cool that we weren't allowed to keep under certain circumstances. I, I see that Rand hasn't met your parents. <laughs> that, that is true. They don't throw yeah, things out in that they family. They don't, they don't throw things out. Oh, really? No. Yes. No. And that's uh, you know maybe Isaac has picked up on that gene too because yep. uh, yeah we're kind of related. Going back a couple generations, that uh, yeah I have stuff that my great grandparents saved for some reason. So oh wow uh, yes so so yeah there might be a collector gene in there somewhere. That's interesting. Do you remember the first comic book that you got that was meaningful to you? There was a 25 cent uh, giant, uh, Batman 197. It's issue number 213. And it had all of the origin stories in it. Mm. And, and so you had, uh, you know, here comes Alfred. You had the origin of Robin for Detective 38. You had, and so it was like, wow. So now I know where all these, these characters come from. And, uh, and, you know, it's reprints. And so even though it was then a current comic at only a quarter, that it's still, you know, wow, this is historic value because look, here's the original stories from the 1940s. And uh, so I think that was the one that really, you know, that, wow, this, this one I got to keep. And you know what? That cover is so tattered that there's so many rips in it. There's so many folds from, from reading it in the back of the car and driving back from here, Godridge, to where I live in Kitchener, there is only so many street lights, like the ones in Mitchell are great. So in Mitchell, I could read as the lights went by through the car, a few more pages of Batman stuff, and then it would be dark. 
So I still have that issue, and yeah, it is totally poor, would not be a good grade for it. It is just awful. But since, of course, I've bought two copies of it in much higher grade. Couldn't you take like your cell phone light and hold it like this? Cell so phone. Mm. Oh, cell phone, you Huron County people, you have such weird ways with your texting and your smartphones. It's interesting. I would call that type of comic a funnel comic. Like that's one that is a, has a wide catchment and it brings people in in a number of ways. And I like when those resets come up. I like when there's something that goes, hey, here's a little catch up, come in here. And that really builds collectability in your mind, doesn't it? It gives you a sense of something out there that you need to get. And I think that, uh, you know, quite recently with the new 52 and then, you know, things like Zero Year or, or uh, just even the, the, the latest reset of, of Batman issues across the board, that, yeah, that it does feel like, you know, this character's been around for 80 years. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if I want to start reading Batman, what decade do I need to start with? Well, you're right. With these resets, it's sort of like, oh, here's something like this. I think that's why the Elseworld things works as well, because it's, yeah. it's now there's no rules. You don't need to know the backstory on it, because in this story, it's, you know, a film noir version of Batman, and therefore you, the... Uh, Everybody knows that, you know, Batman's Bruce Wayne, that his ward's Dick Grayson, that, uh, you know, Commissioner Gordon is the, uh, the head of police and his friend, uh, his butler's named Alfred. So, so there's all these sort of presets, but then there, there are so many uh, new writers and artists and editors that, that strive to make it still familiar and yet different and so, accessible. And that's a challenge, let certainly. Let me, just, but let me jump in there, well. Rand, is that I'm wondering, I always looked at when it came to like, if I was to get into Spider-Man, I don't know if I would know where to start, much like a Batman. You've got all these different... Does Batman stand out in any ways amongst the big, say, three or four main characters of, of comics in that you really can go, okay, I'm just going to do Frank Miller or some yes. of these entry points that, let, that are different? Let me back up because Rob and I were talking off camera about this and I actually stopped this conversation because I wanted to have it now, but... This goes back, Rob, to something Isaac and I have come upon a few times when we're making the films and we're talking to people in an IP and, you know, it's mostly Turtles that it has come up because we have a Turtles documentary where we're actually addressing this. But basically the line is everybody gets their own Turtles. But the way I flip it in my head is when you have the right IP, the right character, the right milieu, the universe, the story, it's really all about what the different creators do. So it becomes more exciting. What does this artist do? What does this writer do? Would you agree that how they play with those toys becomes kind of the excitement of the, of the title? Totally. I think, and again, certain, certain combinations have had just such resonance. So in the seventies with Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, that, yeah, yeah, that just, for so many people, it's like this, this is the way Batman should be. And so, you know, that was, that whole run is is one that just people so relate to. Nick, can you give me an overhead? Like 227 is a very, we're not talking values today, uh, Isaac, so you don't have to look these up. But could you just, this is a very important title in that, isn't it, Rob? What's cool about this, there's a, an entire hardcover book on, uh, you know, your favorite Batman cover, and this this cover is one of the ones that is is most popular across the board with so many different people of different yeah. ages, and it's actually a, a homage to a real early detective uh, cover with Batman versus the Mad Monk. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, thirty one, I think, is the cover with this 
Batman and Behind and a Big Moon. And so here's Neil Adams in the 1970s going, oh man, that Kane had such a, uh, you know, such an atmosphere to that, that cover, that issue. And so this is, this is one of those. What makes that a key issue too is that, again, it's the right shopping list of people. I believe that one's, the artist is Neil Adams, the writer is Denny O'Neill, the inker yeah. is Dan uh, Giorgano, and the editor's uh, Julie Schwartz. So it's all, uh, you know, th this is the one. This is, this is the right list. So even though you're into Batman, you can still go, uh, you know, man, this is the right Batman. Yeah. I will read all the ones that match this type. Nick, uh, Isaac wants to show the homage. Yeah, go. He's, he's going to wet himself if we don't. Uh, just stop Just stop Can Please, anybody sir. see me over here? Just, yeah, he's know. got the homage I've cover. Got the but homage cover. It just, we're we're going to have you back another time to talk about the key issues, Rob. But what I want to, and maybe he can't, maybe he can't cut to it right now. What I see this as, this is the time period where they really were making a shift. Um, they, they were having some success with the horror comics around this time. You think about some of the stuff that was happening. This is just before Swamp Thing, I believe, or in and around that time period. And House of Mystery, House of Secrets, there's a real sense that those are popular. And what I think, if I'm not mistaken, you could correct me about this, this is really a sea change for the title, isn't it? That was, let's transmute this a little bit and take some of the secret sauce from those horror comics and put that in and make Batman more serious, more interesting, maybe reacting to the TV show. Is that fair? It's, uh, there's that. And, uh, you know, the prime time of horror comics is EC in the early 50s. And mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, thanks to Senate hearings and whatever else, it was this total move away from that. So in the late 50s, early 60s, Batman was, mm -hmm. Batman was operating in the daylight, that he had this jeweled badge. He was an official policeman, so none of this vigilante stuff. And, uh, you know, we had a bat dog. It, it was such a family-friendly thing. And I think so many Batman fans were going, eh, this is, this is not the right Batman. So yeah. that, that cover shows the return of the Batman, the, the Batman of the night. I think Neil Adams said, okay, if I get a script that says Batman does this in the daytime, well, tough, I'm going to draw it at night because that's where Batman should be. So with that cover, it's it's definitely it's the supernatural edge to Batman, it's the dark Batman, it's the it's the creature of the night. And he's not presented as the hero. That's what I liked about this cover. I remember seeing this cover not not as the age it came out. I was too young and we had such limited access here. Um, that was in a previous episode. We were talking about how difficult it was for us to get comics. And I want to ask you about that in a minute. But I remember seeing this and thinking, wait, Batman's a good guy. And my Batman, you know, as a child was the TV Batman, yeah. obviously Adam West. So this was really exciting to see this. And it, and it looks like those horror comics that were coming out from uh, uh, other publishers as well. I think uh, Charlton was putting out some pretty interesting horror, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And and even the girl, the character, the dogs, it has a very horror feel. Um, I like that combo, uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams as well. And you have a, a, a one here that we should show. Nick, do you want to give me that overhead? How did you get these signed, Rob? Like this is, this is the first Ra's al Ghul, is it not? Yes. So first appearance of Ra's al Ghul, again, the magic formula. It's written by O'Neill. It's drawn by Adams. It's edited by Schwartz. This is, this is one of the ones and uh, such an important character that's, that's lasted for so much longer. How did I get those signatures? Well, 
I'm related to the right people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so I the, laugh. The, the Neil Adams uh, signature I got at the New York City Comic Con, where happily I was assisting on some Ninja Turtle thing, and uh, the uh, the Denny O'Neill one I got uh, while while shooting an extended interview with him uh, with Isaac uh, in Guelph. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it, it. I don't know. It's. I think working in media and, you know, spending time with broadcast television, I, I don't get starstruck by too many people. And, uh, you know, certainly, yeah, there's some movie stars where you go, wow, they have it figured out. They're doing all this on all these different fronts. But yeah, meeting Neil Adams or Denny O'Neill, that, that's when I went, you know, habada, 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 habada. And it, it, you, you just kind of go, it's like, oh, I'm a big fan. And, and you guys know, you've seen the house, you've seen some of the, the, the collection. It's like, I like to think that I'm maybe above the average level of fandom on oh, things. Yeah. And yet, uh, yeah, meeting those guys, it's like, oh man, you're the ones that made the comic books that I went, you know, this is it. The, the exciting thing too, Isaac, you'll speak to this because you had some stuff signed as well by them. It's when you meet people, right? It's yeah. when you get the chance to talk to Boris or to Neil yeah. or to Denny O'Neill, right? Like that's what really fuses the, you don't sell these. You don't care about the no. value anymore, do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many things that we've done over the years that it takes it, it makes it very, very personal. It just makes it a personal thing. And I mean, lots of people have the, get the chance or lucky enough or have the privilege to go to a con and meet these people, say across the table, maybe in certain cases you have to pay for a signature or something like that. I know that it sounds a little braggy, but we're very lucky and blessed in this specific area of work that we do because we can kind of take it a step further because we're interacting with some of these people that we might be huge fans of and actually kind of get to know them or talk to them, you know, off camera, so to speak, because we literally are taking that, that beyond just being a fan at a, de a desk, we're actually sitting down and talking to them about their lives, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, and you find out that, a, they're people, obviously, but you also get some depth that infuses the title, right? Like when you pick this one up, it's not just the first Raz al Ghul anymore. This is the one that you got signed yourself. That's very meaningful. And that makes going to a con, I think, that much more exciting. You know, some of these guys, Steranko, for example, how long is Jim Steranko going to be around? Neil Adams is relatively young and healthy for a guy who's had as many years in the business as him. But we were, uh, Isaac and I were at an event where Basil Gogos was sitting there by himself, a great horror artist. He was all alone and he looked like he was 157. And you think, like, this, it's, this is incredible to yeah. be able to see these people and get them signed. And I mean, it may feel like a little bit of a, a side discussion when we want to talk to you about Batman, but it does really make it more personal. And your stories about Batman are personal, aren't they? This is something that's part of your life. It, it's fun too. At the New York Comic Con, I got to. I was sitting next to uh, Michael Uslan, a producer of all the Batman movies from '89 mm -hmm. on, and uh, uh, and got to shake the hand of Jerry Robinson. So here's wow. the guy who like co-created Robin the Boy Wonder, like the uh, sidekick, and uh, depending on who you listen to, is is the creator, artist, writer of the Joker. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to this guy who's like 95, 96 years old? So I shook his hand and just said, thank you. Thank you so much for your work because, uh, you know, I am a collector. Am I, you know, if I knew you guys better, I would say, you know, am I wearing Batman underwear right now? I mean, be. we know you are, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> you know where I am. And so uh, you don't want to scare them. You don't want to say, 
I'm your biggest fan. Um, and, you know, am I their biggest fan? No. At another one of the cons, I had a guy come up to me to go, if you're such a big Batman fan, uh, why don't you have a Batman tattoo on your face like I do? And, uh, right. you know, and I'm thinking in my brain, because I still have to buy groceries and work for people. And therefore, yeah. um, so it's the, it, it is, it's sometimes when you meet these people, you just, and you know that Neil Adams has had just uh, an army of people going like, you know, your Batman is the Batman. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's true. But at the same time, it's, it, it, it is, it's an interesting experience to meet the guys that created this thing that you were reading at age eight and hiding under the pillow. Do you think, Rob, that it is tied to the age that you grabbed something? So your, your Batman is the Batman that you had at the age that you were the most impressionable. And, and I guess, Isaac, you chip in on this too, because you kind of went through this with some of the things you were fans of over the years. Well, and I can even speak to Batman itself, because of course, like I said earlier, being five or so when, when it came out. Actually, it was funny. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I had, we had taped it off the television, so I've only seen the first 10 minutes of Batman maybe twice, but I've seen everything after the first 10 minutes like 100 times because we missed it by that much. So I'm like, wait, this happens in the opening scene? Um, but yeah, I mean... I, I, the, I the, can lend you a copy if you... <laughs> I'm sure you have a couple. I mean, yeah, it, it really... It's hard to detach from that no matter how many times. And I mean, it, in fandom, people get upset when you know, anything has changed. And of course you have to keep changing, iterating, otherwise you're just treading water. But the point is, is that you can't take away the thing, the, the 89 Batman. I can always go watch that one and that can be mine and that's fine. And I can enjoy the other ones after that. But yes, for me, when I'm most impressionable at five, Michael Keaton's my Batman in 80, 89. So, but I'm sure for Rob, I mean, that's a cool one, but probably he's got another one that's his favorite. Yeah, you know what I find interesting is the 1992 Batman the Animated Series. For so many Batman fans, that was the one. Like when you, when you have lists of who's the best Batman, that quite often Kevin Conroy, who only does the voice of Batman, is at the top of the list. And, and you know, the reasons why it's like, well, you know, Keaton, you know, reflected both sides pretty well and all this other stuff. And then when they get to why is Kevin Conroy so good, they go, because he is Batman. And so, uh, and so even though this was a show arguably aimed at kids in the afternoon, that man, I was recording every episode of that at four o'clock, even though I had to work a day job um, uh, so that, so that I you. could watch that show. So for me, the 92 series is an amazing version of Batman. Wow. And the Mas I, Mask of the Phantasm. I still cry when oh. uh, at the mm -hmm. end of Mask of the Phantasm, because you know that he just, he's got to go on because that's the, the mission and the obsession and the... The music, it just, it just hits it bang on. At one, of, never... at one of the cons, I did stand in line for like three miles to see uh, Mark Hamill, who I guess is an actor and he's done some other stuff. Mm. But uh, it was for the Killing Joke animated uh, thing. And so here's Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy. And when Kevin Conroy's in this room of over 10,000 people going, uh, he, he does the line with the, uh, uh, you know, I am the knight, I am the Batman. And it's like, I'm going... Wow, it's like some kid's voice thing, and I have goosebumps because that that line from that guy is like, yeah, that's that is the right Batman. Even though I have just since I've been alive and with all the stuff I've collected back to the 1940s, there are so many different Batman. Mm -hmm. I really like the Frank Miller take, but but man, that animated series just seems to nail it. And I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of I could probably look it up right here, but a lot of fan community forums or what have you, a lot of people would say that Mask of the Phantasm is probably 
the highest ranked favorite Batman film. I'm pretty sure of all of them. I'm pretty sure. You know, I don't, I don't respond to 89 Batman and I didn't respond to the animated Batman and I didn't respond to the Batman that everybody loved in the 2000s, you know, Nolan's Batman. I, my Batman, if I'm going to go back and pick the ones that, that hit me the most, it's probably the comic book Batman. And I like the Miller Batman. And I like Snyder Batman, I thought was really complicated and interesting. And Capullo's art was, it was to me, it was revelatory. But it, it never, I'm still waiting for my Batman. And I have really high hopes for Matt Reeves' approach. But I think one of my favorite Batman... Uh, incarnations is did you read of course you did what Jeff did in um, the I've lost it uh, Jeff Johns what, what's the one that he did where he went back and retold the story again Earth 2 not Earth 2 oh yes the the hardcover uh, Earth 2 with the yeah with is it called Earth 2 yep it's Earth 2 and uh, oh, I think that's all it is is Batman Earth 2 no, I've mixed Def, it definitely up. Alfred is much more of a, an empowered character. And I like that Alfred yeah. very much. I like that. And so th- that's kind of what we're getting at here is there's something, there's something to like about everything. And there's something, you know, that maybe fits your need or something that doesn't fit your need. It's open. It's a, it's a blank canvas in a way for people to come in. There are parts that have to be hit. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff I love about the Nolan Batman, but then there's some feelings that, just weren't hit there for me. You know, I think the other thing too, it's interesting about Batman now that I think about it, as we're talking about these iterations that are separate from each other that you can enjoy is unlike some other superheroes, but like some of the other successful properties we've talked about in the past, Batman seems to have a license where you can go in and visually redesign him as well from a costume and look perspective. Like Frank Miller's Batman is dramatically different from live mm-hmm. action from, uh, you know, Adam West from all of these. Like, so, there's also this inroad from a, vi- like, and that's a very important thing, obviously, in a visual medium that we're talking about, is that, that those inroads, you can actually identify just even based on the costume or the feel or the aesthetic, which is actually pretty rad. I think, that's, I think he stands out as a character more than Superman and Spider-Man for me in terms of being able to be different in, in different iterations. He can't change Superman that much, I don't think. I, I might fight you on the Superman. We can talk about that another time, I think. Any creative writer, like we were talking again, Rob off air, Grant Morrison did some pretty crazy stuff with. Well, Matt I'm talking Ryan. visuals only, Rand. I'm only okay, talking sorry, about just, just his costume. I'm saying, gotcha. you know, oh, you take off his, his red tights. Okay, you know, all right, now he's still blue. But I mean, Batman can be gray and white. He can be blue and white. He can be all black. He can be. He can have treads on his boots. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking visuals only. Yes, I know that you can do lots of things with characters across the board, but I'm saying from a costume and a visual standpoint, Batman is pretty rich. You can do an awful lot with him. I, th- I think there are certain characteristics of certain characters that are just so well designed. The story is so uh, iconic that it lends itself to this. And, and uh, again, in our with all this different media we have floating around us, uh, it, it's pretty amazing to see that here's a character that's lasted for 80 years. Mm-hmm. So what ingredients of, of this character is there that, that you could be attracted to? Like, I'm still getting the latest comic books and, and reading Batman stories. And yeah, they're, they're different. Right now there's this uh, Batman-Catwoman love thing happening and then uh, getting crushed and then happening and then... And I'm still interested in it and well, because somehow they've still made it interesting. I think if you had the same 
artist or the same, uh, you know, it's like Charles Schultz on peanuts. It's like nobody else will draw peanuts. Peanuts will look this way because that's the way they mm -hmm. do. I think if you had that with Batman and the same artists and the same, no, no, here is the stories. There's no dicking with the past or yeah. the, that I don't know if it could last 80 years. And yet that's, there's something about characters like Batman, like Robin Hood, like, well, to a lesser degree, Spider-Man and, and, and certainly Superman that somehow has lasted this long. It's the variety, I think, that, that has kept it alive. And yet at the same time, we were talking earlier about Frank Miller, that the artwork was so different. It is so yeah. grittier. It is so nastier. And yet, uh, well, for me anyway, when I read it, I just went, wow, Frank Miller knows who Batman is, that he so gets it. That uh, even with the, you know, subtle little different things, like even the, you know, watch, watch your language, son, when that kid, you know, tells, hey, Batman, hopefully you're going to kick his, that, that, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what Batman would say, even though the art is so different, even though it's a different time, even though that's all these other social things going on in, the, in that world. And yet it's still Batman. It's still, there's something in there that's, that's definitely still Batman. And what is it? What is it that can you distill what is it in that franchise or that character that has worked for you so well? That would be, if we were making the documentary right now, that'd be the question I'd have to ask you. I'd have to know, you know, some people would say with Turtles, oh, it's family. There's, you know, they have a duty to each other. There's the mutation. There are these core elements that you cannot mess with. But there's got to be something about your Batman that you go, these are the parts, these are the things that transfer no matter who's writing, who's drawing, whatever. I think, and there's the, the cliche answer to this, even though it, it's still, it's, it's, it's valid, is that here's the superhero that's not superpowered, <clears throat> that, that, that this is just a guy. If you had, and I know people have actually calculated the number of billions of dollars that you would need to actually be Batman, to buy all this, to build a cave, to, to do a, a, you know, a train station that looks like this, that... Um, uh, that how much money would be required. And, uh, but there's still the idea that you could be Batman if you really worked hard at it, if you practiced like this guy did, that you could, you could be Batman. You can't be Spider-Man unless you get bitten by a radioactive spider, or you can't be Superman because you weren't born on Krypton. Mm -hmm. But so I think that there's that accessibility, that he's, that he's human, even though, yeah, he's a real smart guy. But at the same time, that there's, there's still that, you know, he's human. He's more relatable. He's more connected. Is there anything to, and this might be a little in the weeds, but is there anything to the fact that the character is unstable, that there is sort of a fascination with somebody who's maybe on the edge of, you know, I think you, people in general like that where they can kind of dig into what's strange about this guy because he has to be a pretty, you know, Either he has trauma in his life, obviously, in his case, in Batman's case, so that it's interesting that he's dealing with essentially a mental illness or potentially trauma scenario, you know, PTSD. Is that maybe something that makes that character over time? That, that's very post-80s Batman, I think. Is, do you think so? It, I do. It, but it's it always is. been his, part of his story, is it not? Because mm. yeah, he has to it, be a human that dresses up like a bat. It's always there, is it not? It's, it's certainly played up so much in the later ones, the obsession and whatever mm -hmm. else. So, uh, you know, why did Caroline pick me out of all of her boyfriends? She says, because I was the most persistent. That, uh, you know, somehow I'm still a corporate video producer after 30 years. And uh, some of the people in this room know what that means. And so there's a certain, I guess I'm going to do this now. And I'm going to be obsessive about it. Uh, 
the Batman collection. Do I have every Batman thing? Oh, thank God I don't, because I don't have that kind of money or that kind of space. But I do like getting one of these things because it's so cool because it's still Batman, but it's this variation. And so I think that the same persistence and obsession that, that I have towards Batman and collecting the more stuff, you know, it would be cool as if I rode a Batman motorcycle, a Batman helmet, a Batman jacket, a Batman glove. That, uh, so finding those things and then acting on them, I, I don't know. Maybe that's some of the connection I have to Batman because the Bruce Wayne character is obviously very persistent. He's very hardworking. He has his eyes on the prize. And so, I, yeah, I, that's, that's one of the, the characteristics of Batman that, that I like. That's why at the end of Mask of the Phantasm that I, I cry because, because, yeah, the mission is still there, that he has to do it, that that's, that's who he is. And you know, the thing is, uh, I pour the things that are meaningful to me into my Batman. My Batman is the guy who is driven by demons that push him beyond the limits of his own body, right? He cannot stop because there's no meaning outside of the drive. That's the realization of my Batman, like torn apart Frank Miller Batman, he's beaten, he's, you know, that shot where he's sitting in the chair and he just looks like he's hamburger and he's going out again a night after night and he's got to do what he's got to do. And it's not a death wish in his case. I, I know a lot of people think it is. It's that, that that drive is what it is. He's realized this is what life is. This drive running into the fire, running into the bricks, like that scene in the movie where Affleck's going the other way. To me, that is pure Batman. I thought, yep, yeah. everybody else is going this way, he's going that way. And to me, that's powerful, right? If you are a person who struggles and you have things that you have to deal with, that's a really good character. So we infuse, you put your persistence in, I put my sense of moving forward in, in any direction that I have to go without stopping. Somebody else is saying he's brilliant, he's planning. You know, we all can find these pieces that we attach to. What would you say, Isaac? You're gonna- Oh, I was, I was gonna jump on the fact that that sounds very Conan. <laughs> I was like, I love it because it's like there's a similar trope there. I mean, I mean, you could even dive in. You actually just touched on it a little bit, Rand. It's not just his genius, but it's it's also the the uh, oh, there's a, probably a good word for it, Rand, and you're going to say it. It's not just the it's the minutia or you know getting into the technical. Oh, he has these cool toys and he has gadgets and there's something really fun about those elements that that you can dive and maybe that is sort of me as a gearhead you can get into the car the cars the things on his totally. tool belt the accessories but as a kid i mean pouring a little bit of my interest from the toys like growing up playing with the toys that were based on the 89 film but i loved this idea i mean before i saw the film i can remember this specifically going well there's a, all these Batmans out, and of course, that I can't remember, was it Kenner? Was Kenner doing it at the time? Was I can't remember the toy company that even, was doing even it. Even Showbiz before Kenner. Okay, so those those action figures, they would be like the goldy brown, like goldy bronze one, and there'd be like a silver one and a black one and a, and a yellow and black one. And, and as a kid, I'm like, oh, this suit he's got is bulletproof, and this suit can fly, and this suit can go underwater. So he was like, oh, I can pour in this, like, he's got this technical yeah. stuff that he's building. And so, I mean, to me, that was a big thing. There, we just had three different Batman. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, I want to get granular for a minute. This one that's in front of me, your number two. Oh, I was going to suggest that we bring Could this you up. tell us the story? And then there, this is 
this is not just something anybody can get, is it? I think I, 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 you know what? I don't even know how many things I have in my Batman collection. I'm trying to catalog all of the issues. I'm up to 3,300 different Batman comic books right now. Out of all of them, that's the rare one. That is a Batman number two from 1940. What makes it apparently unique, according to the Overstreet Guide, is that that price tag says 15 cents. Yeah. This one was printed specifically for distribution in Canada in 1940. By the third one, they figured out that they could just have a price tag that said 10 cents or 15 cents in Canada. But this one, uh, they list as being a, a copy is known to exist. So what else makes it cool about that comic book? It's the second appearance of some villain called the Joker. It's the first time they call the jewel thief the Catwoman. Uh, it's probably wow. the fourth or fifth appearance of Robin the Boy Wonder. Um, it's also famous for a, a story in there where Batman uses a machine gun. As much as I That's hate right. to take human life, this time it's necessary. Uh, which prompted the, the editor at the time to say, okay, nope, from going forward that uh, yeah. Batman does not kill. This is going to be a new part of the mythos that, that Batman never kills. And... Uh, and so, yeah, so there was so much going on in that comic book. I bought it at an auction, and the characters at the auction uh, made me look normal. There was a guy <laughs> wearing a, a, best description, Klingon leisure suit. It was sort of this leather-studded thing. He had boots that went up to his waist and a Trotsky beard and little John Lennon glasses, and he would keep playing with the beard and, and going, I don't know, I'm not sure if I should up the bid. And, and so it's a silent auction. We're all standing there next to him is this impeccably dressed uh, Ralph Lauren uh, clothes and very expensive uh, leather Italian shoes, uh, young Oriental kid who uh, is an uh, Asian kid who is uh, looking to buy the thing because he's selling them at a trade show and thinks that this will be a good draw. And I'm looking at it because this is as close as I can get to the start of Batman. Yeah. And, and at the end of it, I win the auction and I go home and I'm just white because I should be spending the money on baby food and mortgage payments. And instead I have this thing. And, uh, and my wife who suggested my starting bid. So in that moment, not that there's a million other times that I knew I married the right woman, that uh, even at this auction that... Uh, when I said to uh, the guy holding the auction, yeah, uh, Caroline thinks my starting bid should be this, that everybody in the, in the store who are still living in their parents' basement uh, just went like, you know, oh, now he's flaunting it. He's been with a woman, uh, you know, and, and now he's just, you know, and the woman puts up with this. So I, I you know, I showed her the thing and, and I thought, you know, uh, what a stupid thing I've done. This time I've crossed the line. I've, I've collected too much. And, uh, and she gave me such a wonderful hug and said, if anybody deserves to have a Batman number two, it's you. And so, you know, is there great value on that comic book? Sure. But, you know, the monetary value is nothing compared to all the other connections for me personally mm -hmm. that go into that book. So that, that is certainly one of the most valuable things in my collection. And it's not just because that's what it's guided at. And they, they changed the Overstreet Guide for that yeah. book, right? Yes. So at, for, at the time that I made them aware of that book, and even then, uh, I called DC Comics in New York trying to figure out why the 15-cent uh, cover price, and the guy, who I think is that character from The Simpsons that's still in puberty, goes, uh, oh, gee, I don't know about that. Um, and so he goes, I'll put you through to someone else. And then there's this voicemail that says, 
Hi, it's Denny. Leave a message. Beep. I'm going, it's, it's Denny O'Neill. It's, I, I'm on the answering machine of Denny O'Neill. And, and it's like, so I'm going, it's like, you know, I can't believe I'm on the, the you know, the message machine of, of Denny O'Neill. And I'm like, I'm sounding like a geek now. And it's like, so I got this, this bit, I just bought this, this, this real expensive, 15 cent cover price. Sorry, bye, click. <laughs> so then, they so then I get a, over. I get a call back from the overall assistant editor of Batman comics at the time. Cause at this time, Denny was the head of overall editor for all Batman titles. So uh, Jordan Gorfinkel calls back and goes, I'm calling because of a rather cryptic message left on Denny O'Neill's answering machine. And yes. So then I talked to the head, one of the head researchers at the Overstreet Guide that says, uh, you know, wow, can you send us a, a photocopy of it? Because we might want to use it in the book. It's like, and so then I have to get a photocopy. Well, I take it to Kinko's and they go, sure, leave it and we'll get it back to you. And it's like, yeah, no. It's like the thing is in this briefcase that is handcuffed to my wrist because you would have to cut off my hand to. Yeah. And so I open the case and it's like some kind of light from Pulp Fiction that shows up. And he goes, is that for real? And I go, yeah. And he goes, we do not want that in the store at all because our insurance does not cover that. So... She, Carol Ann, found a, a, a place that does uh, very uh, high-res copies of large blueprints. <laughs> this was so long ago you used paper for blueprints. I, and, uh, wow. and so they did a photocopy of it. And so I have that photocopy, and it's been sent to the Overstreet Guide, and that's when they changed the book to say, a 15-cent cover is known to exist. That is so crazy. I love that I'm gonna, story. I'm going to suggest to you that um, you can't sell it. <laughs> It doesn't matter what they pay. The good news is, uh, I, I, the line that, when we hired somebody to try to do the thousands of uh, media things, tapes, discs, whatever else in our place, mm -hmm. her criteria for organizing it was, what if Rob gets hit by a bus? And so I ran with that. And so now I believe that, yes, my death will probably be at the hands of a bus. And so, uh, you know, will that get sold? <laughs> yes. So when you see a large Batman collection showing up on eBay or everywhere else, including a number two, you know that I'm dead under the wheels of a bus. Um, the horrible thing is where I live just recently, they've put in a bus line. It's bus 33, That's... which again is a good issue of Batman. But uh, so bus 33, when I'm dead, that's when it's going to get sold. Um, you did say to me earlier tonight that you would put me at the bottom of that list. I, I will add your name to the list because I believe Carol Ann, who is the most loving, understanding, enabling uh, person that I know, uh, will probably want to move stuff real fast. And the, and she'll know that Randall's got the bread because, hey, he faux pas. Did you and know so, that your your comic is on cover price? Uh, is it? I haven't pulled yeah. up. I should it's, pull it up right now. It's here as the one variant on cover price. That's is awesome. Really? I'm pulling that up yeah. right now. Yeah, here we go, everybody. Isn't that funny? And you're going to look it up? And, and you're going to tell me? You're going to tell me how much... So The internet's not going very fast right now. No, it's just interesting. <laughs> you, know that... you know what's interesting is a, a friend of mine who works for the government, has no significant female in his life, and therefore has a huge personal disposable income, mm -hmm. buys comic books like he'll buy entire collections or entire walls from mm -hmm. a from a dealer and all this other stuff 
he one time asked, this was like a totally near mint copy, second appearance, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. And he said, is this worth $2,000? It was just an amazing shape. The, the guy who runs the comic book store said, okay, that is the wrong question. Uh, because is it going to be worth two grand a year from now or 10 years from mm -hmm. now or 20 years from now? He did finally sell it for, I forget how much more than 2000, but, uh, but the, the question, according to comic book <clears throat> store owner guy, uh, the wonderful Andy, uh, is, uh, is it worth $2,000 to you? Yeah. What's, what's the value of it to you? And so some of the stuff that I have in my collection is like, you know, is it worth two cents? No, but hey, it's this candy bag that has Batman on it and it's in German. And it should have been thrown in the garbage in the 1970s. And uh, it should be compost by now. But I have it and I think it's the greatest thing. I have a set of Batman dress shirt button covers that are probably worth a buck. But for me, I love it because somebody had to manufacture this stuff and I have one of the things. So, you know, is it worth $1,000 to me? Well, unfortunately for this one, yeah, because I have so many silly strings attached to it. But for some of the other stuff in the collection, when I do look at an issue that I don't have and it's like, okay, it's in a good shape, it's $400. No, I'm going to pass on that one. Well, this was the kind of the final... Or are you going to look it up? Yeah, well, I've got it here. But the thing that's interesting about it is that, of course, there's 54 total recorded sales of the normal 10 cent variant, or the only one, basically the, the normal one. Uh, the top recorded sale uh, at, at a 9.2 near mint was $43,000. Um, but that's that's the normal one. The cool thing is, is that your photocopy is here because it's it's nicely showing up here in a nice color um, shot wow. there. there it is. There's your photocopy because that would obviously be the, the only, only one. one. <laughs> so, but the, there's no sales data because it's never been sold. <laughs> so there's nothing to, to actually grade or say anything about it um, other than it exists. Cue, cue the music. Another one rides the bus. <laughs> um, there's one more thing. We have just a couple more questions and then we'll let you go. I just wanted to ask, is there something in your collection that... I've had this before where I would buy something and I would have it and someone would say, what's it worth? And I would say, I I'm not selling it, right? Like Hulk 181 or whatever, um, first Wolverine. Is there something in your collection that you have sold or that you have thought about selling? Like you maybe have doubles or whatever. Have you gone down that road and tried to prune He's or asking had for to a prune? Friend. I am not asking for myself. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you've been through that situation that many collectors get to where now here's here's the funny thing i think that if you're a second cousin once removed that you're far enough away from my direct bloodline that you could sell a really cool ninja turtle stuff if you really needed the money to feed your kids uh <laughs> the uh but for batman stuff have yeah. i sold anything like anything you haven't have you no 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 so you this keep one, doubles, one, you keep everything. This one time he had some old tungsten film lights that he was throwing out that one time. I have them. <laughs> it's, they're listen, a, we've all they're been They're a fire this. hazard. They I certainly fire. wouldn't put them in a very nice refined, oh, wait a minute. We, we've all, all collectors have dealt with this, Rob, but it's, you obviously, you're keeping it. So when you buy stuff, it does not matter what the resale value is. You know, you're it's, keeping it. It's it. funny because that is a line from Carol Ann because sometimes when people see stuff, like for example, I have I have the first Batman lunchbox. It's the Aladdin 66. It's with the, with the thermos. 
mm-hmm. and somebody and a couple of people who actually know that one go, oh my God, that's the holy grail of Batman lunchboxes. And, you know, do you know how much that's worth? And then if Caroline's in the room, she goes, hey, Rob, you going to sell that? Are you kidding me? My sister gave me this. <laughs> then she goes, yeah, it's worth nothing because you're not selling it. If you're sell not it. selling it, it's not worth anything. And, uh, you know, is that a valid point? Yeah. Huh? I guess it is. Um, I will say, I will say that over the years that there have been people that I've been very close to, including family people and stuff like this, that uh, if something does come up, and of course, if I have two copies of it or something like that, that, that yes, I actually have said, oh, oh okay. But uh, because again, I think in some cases, you just know the, the, the joy that it's going to go. Um, uh, yeah. You know, just moments ago, I gave away this totally cool baby-sized uh, Joker sleeper <laughs> because, um, because of course, that's what you would buy for uh, uh, for the fam- evil baby. family baby. Yes, and so uh, for an evil baby or any other baby, because what doesn't doesn't any kid look better in Batman stuff? But you don't. I'm just kind of trying to get to this one thing. You're, it's not a business for you. This is a labor of love. You're not buying stuff and maybe not constantly upgrading and then selling out and replacing and selling out or doubling and selling out. You're buying for your own pleasure, true I, passion. I do know so many people that, that do that. And again, investment return on comic books certainly beats any kind of uh, mutual funds that you've had in the last six it, months. It can. However, uh, yeah, you're right. It's in my case, it's like, oh my God, I have this one now. And, and it's not as if I'm so, you know, obsessive. I read that number two. I, I couldn't sleep that night. So I got up and I, um, used like a flamethrower on my hands so that there would be no (laughs) fingerprints or or grease and then put on my hazmat suit. And then, and then I read the comic book and, uh, which some people, when I tell them that it's like, yeah, are you nuts? This should be in a safety deposit box, which it, it has been. Um, it's here now, though, uh, and uh, and so. But you know, why would you do that? Well, because I, I really like Batman. I, I really like the stories. I really like reading it. It's cool to think that somehow this thing, which should have been thrown out in the fall of 1940, lasted uh, you know 80 years to now, and here it is. Yeah. So I think there's some of the stuff is is even though its historic value is nil when the aliens find our destroyed planet after World War III, that, mm. uh, you know, they'll find these little plastic figures and go, what were they thinking? But at the same time, when I get an, an unopened 89 pre-Kenner, uh, you know, Batman thing, I'm thinking, wow, this was from a time when there was another Batmania covering the planet because that 89 thing, again, yeah. now there's ser- Batman serial again. Now there's this, now there's that. Some of the stuff I have from the 60s, I love almost as a historic artifact. Who would buy Batman bread? Well, I would. And I have a mint wrapper from a loaf of Batman bread from the 60s. Part of me just thinks what a historical curiosity this is, that somebody did a print run, uh, a manufacturing thing. They thought it would sell. They thought it would make sense to license it. And some of the stuff I have, I don't know if another human being has it or not. But uh, but I still think, wow, this this thing that they came up with was you know aimed at kids in... 1995. You're the example of provenance. You're discussing this idea that the ideas that we put into these collectibles, we infuse them with meaning. That's the definition of collectible. You get to decide what's collectible. And I'm going to break 
the social isolation for a minute to give you something that you don't have. He's not going to open it. <laughs> this is made by a woman in our community. Um, Kim Hart, Sweetheart Baking. Is that the right name? We'll put. We'll make sure we put that up. You know the truth is, those cookies taste really good. Oh, he can't eat it. Can't eat that's it. too bad because I can't eat it. Because we should get him so, another generic one. <laughs> that cookie is made by wow. a local a local artist. She's very talented. She does beautiful work. We'll put up a link to yeah. where you can see her work. She made that for us because she knows we're into this stuff, and you need to have it. This this is amazing, and sadly. Yeah, I won't eat it because it's just too cool. Well, I would I would get sick and throw up and then try to save the barf. But if, um, it, <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I never eat any of the other good stuff that she gives us. We love it. It just looks too good to eat. I she had, made us enough of the dark crystal ones. I think you might have tried. One. You know what? I think uh, twenty or twenty five years ago, somebody made me a set of Batman chocolates. They found a Batman chocolate mold, so they gave me That's these Batman good. chocolates, which was amazing. I still have them, and. Um, <laughs> And somehow they haven't gone all moldy. There was something about the, I don't know, There's maybe there's no actual chocolate or milk in it. Uh, well, yeah, they're just wax. Maybe it was poison. Maybe she thought, it's time to get rid of Rob. But uh, she made me a second set and she said, okay, this is stupid. Please eat the chocolates that I, so she gave me a second identical set of chocolates so that I could eat them. And I did eat that set. I, I will say the reason why you didn't eat them is because you have accurately identified that Batman is a deity and you cannot destroy the figures of a deity. That's by consumption. I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm active in the, the church that I go to uh, probably because they have a fantastic HD streaming live video set up. Oh, and God. Um, but... <laughs> They've, they've, and they've, they've actually interviewed me about uh, uh, things for the church as well. And it's yeah. like, what are you going to say? It's like, oh no, it's, you know, I'm a Christian, but I really follow this guy with horns that sits in the dark and, you know, is in with all the evil. And so, yeah, it's not lost on me that, you know, maybe, maybe Teletubbies would be a, a more wholesome thing to no. follow, but, uh, but no. There's far fewer Teletubby merchandise. I love to it. Collect. You know, the, Andy, the owner of Carry On Comics in Waterloo, who is just the most amazing fellow um, and such a huge Neil Adams fan. And you know what was cool is I got Neil Adams to sign a thing that says to Andy, which was, which he totally, totally loves. Uh, he went to art school because because of seeing Neil Adams and going, oh, wow. wow, I can I can be like that. So that was. Uh, that was very cool. But Andy told me, he goes, could be worse. You could be into Star Wars. Oh. And so, and and I think one thing that I like about collecting Batman is that I will never get it all because they're making new stuff every hour, including this cookie, this amazing cookie. Uh, and, and therefore I know that there's no way I'm going to get it all. Like I'm not yeah. a completist that's going to go, oh, Detective 1000, 26 covers. Yeah, I'm going to get all 26. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm going to get two. Which is probably one more than I should have got, but uh, but still, that's the that's the kind of cool thing about Batman is that I can collect some tiny little bit of it, knowing that you know it's not all. Isaac did get me this totally cool He-Man Masters of the Universe. Oh, I can't say that because it wasn't licensed version of Batman. That's this 
definitely He-Man version of Batman, even though it doesn't say He-Man on it. And, and I love that too, because it's so weird. And, uh, and yet somebody made it and I got one now. And, and it comes with a story because Isaac found it in a Target store in California when you guys were shooting something else and called me and said, the blue and gray one or the, or the black and gray one? I go, oh, it has to be the blue and gray one. <laughs> so, yeah, Savage Batman, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. like that, yeah. And, I uh, and I've, I've seen the, uh, <laughs> we did have a big black dog. And yes, I have dog Batman costumes. Um, I've only forced the dog into it once. Uh, and uh, You have a second Christmas tree for the Batman ornament. I do. I have a... <laughs> I have a strictly Batman thing. Because again, you know, instead of uh, uh, Birth of Our Lord, uh, how about that guy that lives in the dark with the pointy... Anyway, the... Uh, There's a part in every interview where you stop talking about good things and you start talking about <laughs> intervention time. <laughs> you just said at the beginning that we don't have good yeah, interventions that's, that's for this problem. issue. And, and, uh, and we, it, don't, we don't know how to fix so, you. So just in case somebody who is watching this is wondering, I do have a relatively normal life. And I do work for people that have no idea that I'm into Batman. It is fun when we do a shoot at the house because if they actually stumble into the room, then they stop making eye contact with me. But before that, yeah. it's, it, it really is. And I think that's, that's the difference. I know that there are some people where Batman is so much more of their life than it is of mine yeah. that I don't think it is a healthy thing. That at some point it really, if, you're, if your kids are going hungry because you so needed that killing joke statue, then, then there's something wrong. So I've been very blessed in that I can collect Batman stuff and can have a secret identity where I have a normal non-Batman life. Can we end this episode by cutting to some footage of, sh of in your space you 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 allowed us in your space can we show some of that now oh most definitely okay so we'll create a tail out thanks so much rob curry you have been a most batman inspiring collector you made me want to get some of the things you have here that have always been on my list uh i thank you for coming down to the station in person and bringing your treasures with you isaac is there anything you would say to your second cousin twice removed once removed Sorry. Wait, once removed? Yeah. I can't remember that. <laughs> that's what he would say. <laughs> no, that's, it's awesome. It's just that's awesome the, to have That's one. the final just, words of loving I, family. No, I can't I, remember I've, that. I've heard these stories thousands of times, and I can't get enough of them every time. I love it. It's just, you know, it's family. Love them. It's good All to right. be here. You know what? I, so I, I so love that you guys are doing this. What a pleasure to uh, to be on here, and uh, and thanks for all you do for uh, for promoting, to making it seem normal, maybe, to be this kind of collector.